to today's version of the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. I'm super excited to welcome Jordan Kuzner from McCormick to the show. Uh, I met Jordan a few years ago uh, when he was working on the Zatarans brand, and I think his, his role has uh, changed, expanded uh, since then. Uh, I'll let him tell you all about that. But uh, when I met Jordan, uh, we sat down, we had lunch, uh, heard some really cool, interesting stories uh, from some music experiences back in the day, and I knew I wanted to hear more of them. So this podcast gives me a good vehicle to do that uh, and also to share that. Uh, share some of those stories with others. So welcome, Jordan. Thank you. Great to be here, Matt. Awesome. Um, well, let's uh, let's jump into it. Uh, would love to just kind of uh, give people a chance to get to know Jordan Kuzner a little bit. Specifically, you know, so many people kind of accidentally fall into the market research space, the insight space. Would love to hear how you kind of found your way into insights uh, and where that's taken you uh, and where you're at now. Cool. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I accidentally fell into it or, or it was deliberate. It was probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I was finishing um, law school and getting my MBA and I got hooked up with an ad agency as part of my internship, my MBA co-op. And as part of that, I connected with the strategy team at this ad agency. And they did a lot of this consumer insight support, if you will, for like the agency that they were working with. So like you've got um, creative folks that wanted to kind of tap into some strategic, um, you know, side of their business or insights, and they kind of leaned on that part of the team. And I kind mm -hmm. of gravitated to that and thought it was really interesting. Um, and then coming out of grad school, I got a job doing like a contract position at a boutique strategy firm that worked in the pharmaceutical space. So it was insights, but it was a little bit narrow and a little bit more consultative and mm -hmm. a lot of project management, but I kind of got exposed to a lot of people in that function and I really took to it. So when that contract expired, I said, I can continue this consulting gig or I can kind of throw my hat in the ring for an insights role. And I applied to and got a job at C-Space in Boston where I kind of got my feet wet um, with really doing qualitative insights every day. They do uh, private online communities, MROC they call them. Yeah, uh, great and, company. And, yeah, and the rest is history. So I, I, it was a little bit of an accident, but I think I kind of made some choices along the way that kind of set me up for that. And once I was at C-Space, I really took a liking to it, um, but knew that I kind of wanted to make the transition to go in-house and went from there to Hasbro and uh, in a global insights role and now McCormick. Okay, great. Uh, any regrets for not uh, becoming an attorney? <laughs> no, none. Full disclosure, <laughs> I used to work for Westlaw, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, one of my primary clients was LexisNexis, so I kind of got- Ah, there we go. I got my, my fill. You know, I'll tell you a quick story. It's a true story. I was working as in the attorney general's office in Boston, and I was asked to work on uh, a memo on distributed generation, which are those turbines you see everywhere, and about mm -hmm. the legality of like eminent domain and taking people's property. It's a long time ago. I don't remember. But it was like three weeks of my life and a 30-page legal memo. I handed it to the attorney, and she literally looked at it for one second and threw it in the trash and said, great work, but I'm going to submit the report I wrote. <laughs> I, I think she was, she was a very nice woman. I think she was teaching me a lesson and the lesson was, this is not for me. I felt <laughs> like whatever skills that I had or things that made me unique were things I didn't need to be a lawyer. And if I hadn't right. been there that day, they would have had the next guy writing the memo and it would have been basically the same output. And I just didn't feel like it was tapping into, you know, me and my creativity. Awesome. So well, the, I failed. <laughs> <laughs> well, the insights industry is, is lucky to, to have you. So Thank appreciate you. that. 
All right, so when we were talking, uh, I remember, you know, I wanted to share some stories about my cool band days, thinking that it was something, and... Um, it was, I loved it. <laughs> and, and so, uh, but I loved some of what you shared. So tell me a little bit about your experience in music and maybe your, your favorite story. Oh my gosh, so before, so I talked about law school and grad school, before that I was studying music in, at Berkeley College of Music in Boston which was this dream to, to go to that school. I never thought I could ever get in or even contemplated applying. And I was studying jazz when I was in rabbinic school, which is a whole other story. <laughs> they said to me, you know, you should go to Berkeley. And I thought I could get in, what? So I applied on, on a whim and I got in and I just kind of changed my life. I left the whole divinity thing and then went to study music. And I thought that I would get a gig touring with Steely Dan or Christina Aguilera, I did a lot of like backing up female vocalists, but uh, speaking of backing up female vocalists, after my first semester, I met my now wife and she looked at me like, this is cute, but like, you gotta get a real job. <laughs> uh, and so she smashed my dreams in a way, I suppose, but I think it was also a dose of reality and, and, and it kind of turned out really nicely. So I, um, so that's kind of how I got into music. It was kind of initially a little bit of a hobby and a passion. I was like, you know, finishing high school and, and then kind of clandestinely when I was in rabbinic school. And then mm -hmm. I kind of went all in in Berkeley. And my dad always said, you know, you don't have to, you know, be a musician. There's options for people like you. He used to talk about the Legal Eagle Band in Boston, which was all attorneys <laughs> that lighted on the stage. And I thought like, no, I'm good. I'm going to be a rock star. And then now here I am. Um, <laughs> I'm a suit. <laughs> So that's kind of the, the background. And I guess the, the great story is my dad was right. So I ended up at C-Space. The CEO was a patron of the arts and she was like a trustee on the Boston Philharmonic, which is a, you know, a symphony in the area that I actually was a season ticket holder to. Um, and I met is this her. Diane, is this Diane Hessen? Diane Hessen, yeah. And I yep. met her the, on the Saturday night before I started my job on the Monday after at some you know, gala event or something. And we chatted music. And then a, a year or two later, we were leaving our office in Watertown, Mass, moving to our new digs in Boston. And she wanted to do something really special to say goodbye to our office that we had been in for a number of years. She said, let's make a concert. And so I was asked, and there's another Berkeley grad, his name is Chris, that I worked with. He played the drums. He was excellent. And they said, can you put a, a band together for a concert? We said, sure. When's the gig? They said, tomorrow. <laughs> so we got our gear and we rehearsed in the cafeteria and everybody came back for this party the next day and we killed you know, killed maybe a little a strong work, but it was good enough. And it, and it yeah. actually became the first in Communist Space's annual uh, concert that they call C-Jam. So we ended mm -hmm. up doing every year where we'd bring people in from the organization and we'd kind of let everybody sing a song and we had like a backing band. We'd let people play a song here or there. Um, and now it's kind of like a C-Space tradition. And they've actually rented out a bar and it becomes like a whole thing versus doing it in their cafeteria. So I was there from the beginning of that. Um, and then I went to Hasbro and I joined the Hasbro all-star band called Toys to Men. <laughs> I'm in McCormick's all-star band, which I helped to kind of start. Um, it's called Sage Against the Machine. You like that? Very, very nice. Very um, so nice. my dad was right. So here it is. I have a real job, but I get to do this music stuff, you know, on the side almost. But the people I'm playing with are employees and coworkers who understand that I've got the demands of this, you know, insights work that I'm doing and I'm traveling or I'm presenting to leadership or whatever. So we are able to kind of work our rehearsals and our gigs around all of our work schedules. So I kind of get the best of both worlds. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I've been searching for a company band my whole career and I haven't found it yet. So uh, you've given me some hope. Yeah. Um, 
So there's so much talk uh, there has been over the last few years about what makes a good insights person. And uh, I keep hearing the term polymath thrown around and you certainly seem to fit that kind of, uh, that kind of mold. So uh, actually it's the opposite of a mold, right? Uh, so as you, as you think about what you've done in music and some of these other things, are there any lessons that you can take from those experiences that you've applied to your professional career? Your yeah. suit, your suit career. Yeah, my suit <laughs> career. yeah. So it's tough. Let me think. Um, I'm not sure if, how directly they're relating, but I, I guess I can think of a couple things. So one is the the need to be consultative, and I think that really is about a um, couple things like listening and improvising, right? And I think there's certainly a ton of that in music. Um, and it, it took me a while to get there. You know, I'm not a naturally gifted musician by any stretch and I'm not just being humble. I work really hard at it. And I know guys who can just kind of pick it up or gals who can just pick it up. But I've got to a place now where I've been playing now for 20 years and I can actually kind of, it slows down a little and you can listen and, and, and react to what you're hearing. And the better the, the musicians that I play with, as they are getting better and the people I surround myself are better, it elevates my play. Um, so um, certainly as an insights person and an insights professional, we do a lot of listening, whether it's to our, our, the, the, the category, the consumer, um, the industry, or our business partners. And I think at McCormick especially, we, we talk about being strategic partners and strategic consultants. And a lot of that is listening to what our teams need and, and improvising or finding ways to kind of solve those challenges and, and be proactive. So, you know, part of sure. it isn't always kind of resting on your laurels and hoping the keyboard player gets to that really cool spot where you can kind of hang on it. Um, but it's about, you know, helping to, to, to push the envelope and kind of collectively build to something really great. Um, mm -hmm. That's what we talk about a lot in, in our team is, you know, we're supposed to be thought leaders, thought leaders in the organization and bringing good ideas back to our brand partners and to our leadership. Um, and certainly there's an element of, of that music as well as, you know, kind of offering that up. Um, and, and, you know, the other thought, and maybe this isn't even musically related, but it's about being creative just in general, being mm -hmm. curious and creative. Um, and I think I kind of have that personality in general. Um, and I think a lot of the, a lot of the, the insights professionals that I look up to kind of have that as well in spades, just the desire to kind of crack that nut, figure out what's going on. Um, and just curious. And I remember that's basically how I got my job at Hasbro is they asked me, what three words would you use to describe yourself? And I was like, oh crap, I don't have <laughs> the answers to these things. And I just threw out three words and one of them was curious. So yeah. you know, thank you, Lord, for making me. <laughs> and that's what kind of got me the gig. The senior director was like, that's exactly what we need. We need curiosity. I was like, note to self, say curious. <laughs> um, but I think there's some truth to that, certainly. Yeah, great. Cool. Uh, well, I've had a chance to see you in action in a professional environment, workshopping, if you will, um, and was really impressed with the ideas that you were able to get out of other people and uh, just the way um, you were able to drive towards some, uh, some really good outcomes. And so I'm kind of curious now just thinking about the professional side, as you think about the insight space, um, what's important as you're looking ahead to the future, COVID or otherwise, uh, what are some things in your mind as you think about the future of insights? Um, great, great question. So um, I don't, I'm not sure exactly the answer, but I know that there's a big push around big data and analytics and trying to merge that space with um, the more custom and syndicated sides of what we do. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think there's still a little bit TBD on how to 
extract the most value out of big data and social media listening and, and that kind of space, certainly. And the other piece um, is around, um, how do I say this? So the, the, it's a, it's, I think it's about elevating consumer insights and consumer intimacy in general. So I think it, historically, and I, I haven't been in the industry that long, so I don't know this to be a fact, but it feels like um, there, was a, there was a push for just like tons of surveys and validate this and validate that. And so certainly mm -hmm. and our team try to be proactive and be strategic and thought leaders. Um, but we're also now in thinking about our long-term plan as an organization, there's now a push to just elevate consumer intimacy throughout the organization. So while in the, you know, the, the 1.0 version of McCormick and other similar peer companies, Insights was a function that a certain group would lean on, I think now it's, being, it's been recognized and, and seen as a resource that can really inform and help everybody across the org make better decisions. And so last year is a great example. Um, we rolled out a really extensive consumer intimacy project in the lobby of our new building. So there's a thousand people mm -hmm. at headquarters and we took over the lobby and created a movie theater and little individual kitchens that represent different consumer groups that we are thinking about our consumer segmentation and brought it to life, not just, you know, on a PowerPoint slide, which is, you know, it is what it is and not just for our brand team or the innovation team, but for everyone, HR, finance, supply chain. And now they got to walk through the, 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 the kitchen area sit through a you know a video ethnography in our movie video in our movie theater um, and get to experience you know firsthand what it looks like to be in a consumer's home to experience an ethnography and to see these consumers you know in the wild so to speak right. and I think there's a real opportunity there also it's, it's to take it take insights to the masses and take the consumer voice to the masses and let it really influence everything we do yeah uh, that's that's tremendous that's a great story I uh, appreciate that um, so if you think about uh, this can be both professional uh, or even personal. Uh, if you think about some of the things that you're reading or listening to or watching now, blogs, podcasts, books, whatever, um, any recommendations? Um, any recommendations? Sure. So, um, well, <laughs> COVID has been great. I've got all the time in the world now. I, so I'm watching all the shows I never watched before. So people seem to like Breaking Bad. It's pretty good, but I think I'm late to that party. Uh, I'm also reading all the Malcolm Gladwell stuff. Most of it I'd read already, and I'm reading the new one now, which it's called Talking to Strangers. And it's, it's, I think it's really, really fascinating. I think it kind of got mixed reviews, um, but it, I think it's especially um, time, uh, you know, the prescient given what we're going through uh, with, you know, um, cultural unrest and, and Black Lives Matter. And there's a whole segment on Sandra Bland, who was a woman who I think in Texas, an African-American right. who was pulled over and I don't know exactly what happened, but she ended up, you know, dead, unfortunately, in her jail cell the following day. And it talks about how here were two people that really nobody wanted this to happen, but they had such a difficult time connecting with one another and seeing each other for who they are and, and being able to communicate. And, you know, I've got, like I said, five kids. And what I tell them is, Communication isn't about yelling what you want to say as loudly as you can, but it's about, it's about finding the words that you need to make sure I understand what you're trying to tell me. And, and I think that's kind of the, the pact that we and our family try to, to maintain and thinking about that story and about, you know, the challenge of talking to strangers and how it applies to what we do in Insights, right? When I go to someone's mm -hmm. home, you know, one of my favorite trips is when I go to our office in Gretna, Louisiana to support our Zatarin's rice business and I do an ethnography in someone's home. Um, and here is this uh, woman from a different culture, a different background, living in a different part of the country, eating different food, 
And every single time, bar none, they, uh, these, these wonderful women of New Orleans, they pull me into their family and say, hey, you're not just here to watch me, us make dinner or watch us eat dinner, like eat with us. Yeah. And that's something that you don't get when you go to Chicago and something you don't get when you go in Boston. In Boston, they're like, cool, we're gonna eat and like, you better pretend you're not here. Um, and so being able to kind of accept people for who they are and find the ways to communicate is something, and being able to understand those nuances is certainly a, a key part of being an ethnographer and being in those settings. So I found that book to be um, really interesting and really challenging in some spots. So that's what I'm reading now. I recommend it. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't read it, so uh, so I appreciate the recommendation. I'll, cool, I'll yeah. definitely so check Matthew, that out. Anything, anything, Malcolm Gladwell can write like a recipe to like baklava, and I would I would read it. It's just like, <laughs> I, I would probably trust him actually with baklava. So <laughs> yeah. that works. He's great. Okay, so I, I just have one last question for you. Um, I hate when people ask me this question, so I'm going to ask it of you. No, it's um, <laughs> you. You probably know what's coming, but I, I obsess over this question for weeks, months, whatever. But you're stuck on a desert island. You've got three records uh, that you can choose uh, that are with you for the rest of your days. What are those records? Wow, really, really hard. So I don't know if you can see behind me, but I've got some records on the wall. I've got records in front of me as well. So I, I know you sent me the questions and I couldn't even get it down to three, but I, I guess I could try. <laughs> so one, my one and only true love would have to be Steely Dan, Asia. It's mm -hmm. not the album that maybe influenced me the most. That would be the Royal Scam and, and Larry Carlton's guitar playing, but Asia is just a gem beginning to end. Um, I love, love, love that record. Um, no, Ozzy Osbourne, No More Tears, you know, it's <laughs> so I've got weird eclectic taste, certainly. Yes. Exactly. So I, you know, the, I used to think I was Zach Wilde. Um, <laughs> you know, you got the beard, actually. That's I know, cool. right? Uh, I've met the guy. He's obviously a, a legend. And, um, but that record, it's just awesome. The guitar playing is great. Ozzy sounds as good as Ozzy's gonna sound. <laughs> um, and it's great. I, I was struggling between that one and like Master of Puppets. I love Puppets too. And, and that is like also, I, that was like what I listened to before I played guitar. Like I was all about Metallica. Um, and then the third one I would say would be Frank Zappa, Hot Rats. Nice. So I love like progressive rock and there's just something about that record, especially that brings you back. I think that might've been the first Zappa record I bought. And I think I gravitated to it because it was instrumental and I was kind of intrigued by that. And I think at the time I didn't understand who Frank Zappa was and what he was up to. And a lot of his other songs were kind of, you know, I didn't get the satire and I, I didn't, I thought they were like idiotic. And I think they probably were idiotic. And now <laughs> that was the first one I was like, okay. And like, I think there's like 10 words in the whole record, hot rat, hot suits, hot zoots, hot meat. He kind of yells that during Willie the Pimp, or actually not him, it's Captain Beefheart who yells them. Um, but it's a great record beginning to end. And, and through that, it kind of opened up the door to the rest of Frank Zappa's music, which I have now become obsessive with. And Zappa plays Zappa and the Dweezil thing is great, but like the core old school stuff, 200 motels, um, Cucamonga, I mean, all of it, it's uh, one size fits all. I mean, all these records are just like genius. Cool, cool. Yeah, I can't awesome. believe I have three. I could, I could easily do 10 more. Oh, Deep Purple Machine had like, oh, yeah, I, yes, photo four. Yes. Like, how do I not have that on my list? It's, it's wrong, or Abbey Road. <laughs> Total Four was actually the first album I ever bought with my own money. So, ah, great. So, Total <laughs> is the most 
underappreciated rock band. I absolutely love, love Toto. <laughs> they have a bad rap because Frank Zappa made a joke about them once about how they were like sissies or something. And now people <laughs> who are serious musicians like talk down to Toto and I'm like, you are nuts. <laughs> so that's my Frank Zappa Toto struggle. <laughs> I, I'm on your side on this one. So yes, thank you. Cool. All right. Um, super, super interesting. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure you'll have maybe some people following up with you on uh, topic A, topic B, topic C. Because a lot of paths there, but uh, really appreciate the time, Jordan. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. I think this is a really cool thing you're doing. Rock and roll research is such a great idea. Um, and I'm happy to be part of it. And I'd love to see where this goes. Let's get awesome. some stories up here. Cool. All right. Thanks so much, Jordan. All right. Take care. Bye.